The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan. One of the things I've wondered about is several guests have said that the quality of our food in this country uh, is not as good as in other countries. One of our guests told us that certain countries will not accept our meat because they eat so many antibiotics, uh, insecticides, hormones, and probably glyphosate. I was also told that some countries won't accept our cheeses. But the most shocking revelation to me was that the U.S. does not regulate its coffee. And what does other countries do with their coffee that's too moldy for their own regulations? They send it to the United States, and we're drinking it every day. So that kind of makes me wonder. So one of the things that really makes me wonder is the issue of genetically modified foods. I mean, what is going on there? There's a lot of confusion in my own state in California, we voted, please don't tell us this is in our food. We don't want to know. It's okay. Just put it in. And that just kind of raises question marks. What's going on? So in order to help get some information on this and a little bit of insight, we are very honored to have Stephen Drucker. He is a public interest attorney who founded the Alliance for Biointegrity, and he's executive director and initiated a lawsuit that forced the U.S. Drug Food, pardon me, U.S. Food and Drug Administration to divulge its files on genetically engineered foods. This revealed some surprising events. It appears oh, he believes that this politically influenced administration straighters had covered up the extensive warnings of their own scientists about the abnormal risk, and they misrepresented the facts, and then allowed these genetically modified new foods into the market without their testing that I was hoping our country would have. He talks about this frequently and has been on, um, served on several panels uh, conducted by the National Research Council and the Food and Drug Administration. He has a new book out in March 2015 called Altered Genes, Twisted Truth, how the venture to genetically engineer our food has subverted science, corrupted government, and systematically deceived the public. He completed law school at the University of California, Berkeley, where he was on Law Review and the Honorary Society, the Order of the, excuse my pronunciation, cough. So, Dr. Dr. I mean, Mr. Drucker, welcome to our show. Thank you very much, Susan. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, can you tell me, so it sounds like genetically modified food is a very important topic to you. So what got you interested in this? 
Well, actually what first got me interested, as I explained in the introduction to the book, is when I first heard about this massive venture to reconfigure the genetic core of the world's food supply back in, really in 1995, and I realized I hadn't heard anything about it up till then. In fact, I didn't even, uh, hadn't even heard about genetically modified organisms. And I, as somebody who had been uh, very interested in food safety issues for many years, I thought, boy, if I hadn't heard about this and some of these foods were just about ready to come on the market, most people probably haven't either, which turned out being correct, at least in this country. And I wanted to learn more about it. And the more I learned, the more I became concerned because it became quickly apparent that there is a great gap between the claims of the proponents of genetically engineered foods and the actual truth. And the more one learns the facts, the more one learns the truth, the greater uh, greater the reason is for concern. These, uh, it's quite reasonable, quite scientific to be concerned about the safety of genetically engineered foods, even though the proponents would have us believe otherwise. And eventually... Uh, I felt I needed to do something about it, and uh, I was very concerned about the policy of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration because the FDA admits, actually, that it has uh, a policy, a program, to promote the biotechnology industry, and they've been doing that very, very well. What they have not been doing well is upholding their duty to... uh, to follow the law and protect the safety of the food supply. And in particular, they have not been following the law as it regards uh, new additives to our food. And uh, by law, every one of these new genetically engineered foods should have been subjected to thorough safety testing. But the FDA has allowed all of them to come onto the market without requiring one smidgen of safety testing. And... uh, I uh, I brought a lawsuit to see if I could change that situation. So are you saying that, well, what are our laws that we have in place on foods uh, in our country? Well, the main one uh, in this regard is the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, and in particular, an amendment that was passed to strengthen that act in 1958 called the Food Additive Amendment, which requires that... Uh, that new additions to our food that do not have a history of safe use prior to 1958 are presumed safe and uh, sorry presumed unsafe until proven safe and that it's the it's the responsibility the burden of the manufacturer to demonstrate safety uh, through standard scientific procedures and the FDA's regulations have added on to that amendment made it very strict and required really that there's no way around the requirement no legal way around the requirement that any food containing uh, new additions, new substances added that do not have a history of safe use prior to 1958 must be demonstrated safe, each one of them. That's the law. And the FDA has violated that law quite knowingly. They obviously know the laws. 
and uh, they've claimed that they have no information showing that foods produced through genetic engineering differ in any uniform or meaningful way from other foods. But that is an outright lie, and I don't use the term lie uh, in an exaggerated sense. I'm very careful about using it when I do use it, and in this case, it's justified because it turns out that the first extensive and objective analysis, scientific analysis of genetically engineered foods was conducted by the FDA, by the scientific staff of the Food and Drug Administration in 1991. And overwhelmingly, those experts concluded that genetic engineering is very different than traditional breeding, that it it poses a unique set of risks, and that uh, among them are the risks of unintended side effects that could create novel toxins or allergens that could be very difficult to detect without rigorous testing of the whole food. And they... Uh, they called for such testing. They repeatedly warned their superiors about the abnormal risks of these foods. They pointed out that it was necessary for each of them to be carefully tested. But that, that was the law anyway. So what the FDA scientists were telling their superiors is what the law requires is also what solid science requires. So the FDA administrators knew that from the standpoint of the law, these foods should be carefully tested, and that science backed the law up, that in the case of genetically engineered foods, rigorous safety testing was necessary to safeguard the populace. And the FDA administrators covered up all of the warnings, and as I said, they claimed they were not aware of any evidence, any information, showing that genetically engineered foods differ in any uniform or meaningful way, and they allowed every one of them to come onto the market without requiring one iota of safety testing, without requiring labeling, and also without even requiring that the FDA be given formal notice. The FDA has actually admitted it does not know for sure what genetically engineered foods uh, or all the genetically engineered foods that could be on the market, that there could be some GMOs on our market of which the FDA is not even aware. So are you saying that, have you actually seen these memos where the FDA is warned about the potential risk? Yes, I've gone through them because through the lawsuit, the FDA was compelled to hand over all of its internal files relevant to its policy on genetically engineered food. So uh, the the attorneys uh, working with me and I received more than 44,000 pages of documents from the FDA. Of course, not all of them were relevant, but as I, uh, I took responsibility for investigating all of that trove of documents, it took many weeks. But as I went through them, I found memorandum after memorandum written by the FDA's own scientists sent to the biotechnology coordinator and higher-ups in the FDA explaining why genetic engineering entails unique risks and uh, explaining why these risks could not be properly managed unless the foods were subjected to careful, rigorous safety testing. So the FDA administrators were well aware of what their scientists said, and yet not only did they cover all of that up, they lied about it. As I said, they denied they had any information showing that genetically engineered foods were different from other foods in any meaningful way. And if the lawsuit had not been brought, 
we would still be ignorant about what the FDA scientists actually said. We would be forced to, to believe, or at least to give the FDA the benefit of the doubt, that when they said they didn't have any information and that, that they studied it and found these foods were uh, just as safe, we would believe them. But now we know that they're lying. We know what their own scientists said. And uh, for many years, I have had 24 key documents from the FDA's files that demonstrate that they're actually not telling the truth, posted on the website of the Alliance for Biointegrity, www.biointegrity.org. They're posted there for anybody who wants to look at them to see what the FDA scientists actually said. So at what level do you think the the information on these uh, memos when they went up the food chain, at what memo do you think, at what level do you think they were blocked? How far up the food chain do you think these memos reached? Well, we know that they were blocked above the level of the scientific staff because we know what the scientists overwhelmingly concluded. And in fact, memos show that as the scientists could see the drafts of the policy statement that the FDA administrators were preparing, they they were very upset because it was clear that the scientific information that they were that they were bringing out and that they felt had to be incorporated in any rational science-based policy, that that information was being ignored and generally not integrated within the policy statement. And so one can see protests being lodged by the FDA scientists. And in fact, at one point, a few months before the FDA released its policy statement, one of its uh, compliance officers, whose job it is to make sure the FDA is staying in compliance with its own regulations and statutory law, wrote a very strong memo to the agency's biotechnology coordinator, uh, basically uh, saying, look, it's clear that the agency is trying to fit a square peg into a round hole by trying to force, and that was her word, force an ultimate conclusion that there's no difference between genetically engineered foods and their conventionally produced counterparts. And then she wrote, the processes of genetic Genetic engineering and traditional breeding are different, and according to the technical experts in the agency, they lead to different risks. And note, she didn't say there's a debate, and according to some of the the scientists in the agency, she was very unequivocal. According to the technical experts in the agency, these foods lead to different risks than their conventional counterparts. So it was an overwhelming consensus among the FDA scientists that these foods need to be tested. So what did the FDA do? We knew somewhere above the level of the scientists that the people that actually make policy decisions and are empowered to speak to the public, all of that scientific input was covered up and, and disregarded. And uh, the FDA, instead of acknowledging that it's clear there's not a scientific consensus that these foods are safe. They lied, and they claim that there is an overwhelming consensus that these foods are so safe they don't need to be tested. And one of the other damning documents that I found in the FDA files was a letter written by the FDA's biotechnology coordinator to a Canadian health official admitting that there was not a consensus about safety in the scientific community at large. So the FDA's own files demonstrate that it fully knew there was not a consensus of safety either inside the FDA or outside the FDA 
within the scientific community. And yet, it lied. It claimed that there's general recognition of safety, which means there has to be overwhelming consensus, and there has to be solid data to back it up. And the FDA's files admitted they had no data at all at that point. So the FDA knowingly brought these foods onto the market, in, in violation of our food safety laws and against the recommendations of their own scientists. Why do you think they did that? Well, it's clear that the FDA has even admitted that they have a policy to promote biotechnology. And my book explains in great detail the history of genetic engineering and how eventually the scientists who were developing genetic engineering, even before there was a biotechnology industry, were able, through a series of misrepresentations, to uh, convince uh, key government officials and ultimately the Congress that uh, genetic engineering and its products do not to, need to be regulated. It was a major, major fraud that was perpetrated. And uh, then under the presidency of Ronald Reagan, which was against uh, regulation anyway, was trying to uh, re- relax regulations wherever it could, then a policy was promulgated to the federal administrative agencies to promote biotechnology and do as much as possible to speed the introduction of its products onto the market. And the FDA has been following that policy. Even though that policy did not have the force of law, the FDA was using it as an excuse to break the law. And that's inexcusable. So you're saying that the FDA... uh, kind of hid all these truths because somebody gave them the mandate that they were to promote bioengineered foods. Who gave them the mandate to promote these foods and why? Well, at at first, as I mentioned, at first back in 1986, it was the Ronald Reagan administration, but it's important to note that that promotional policy that was issued to the federal agencies was renewed by every successive president. It's been followed by every White House since, Democrat as well as Republican. And therefore, Bill Clinton and Al Gore, when they were in the White House, pushed that policy at least as hard as Reagan had and as the first Bush presidency had. And unfortunately, the Barack Obama presidency also pushed and promoted genetically engineered foods very strongly. And well, they had been been misled because many eminent scientists have repeatedly misrepresented the facts and convinced uh, presidents and other government officials that genetic engineering is essentially safe and that the foods have been proven safe when there is no scientific evidence to back that up. And my book demonstrates that. I am almost sure that if Bill Clinton and Barack Obama are both very intelligent people, if they had actually understood the facts and understood the way in which the FDA was violating the law, they would not have been promoting this. That's my firm belief. But they have been misled. You're saying the FDA was promoting this, they had a mandate to promote it, and you're implying that the president uh, was the source of the mandate. Well, where did the misinformation start? So why is the president doing this? Who is starting all the misinformation, and who is... Who, 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 where, where did this change start? Okay. Now, first, 
I want to I want to say I'll, my book documents all of this, and many people are so tired of hearing major what they consider conspiracy theories, is they just think, oh, it's another one. My book doesn't try to prove a conspiracy theory; it just brings out facts. People can connect the dots as they may wish, and uh, many scientists and and experts who've read my book have praised it highly and stated how solid the evidence within it is. In fact, one uh, professor of ag- agricultural economics at the University of Missouri has stated the evidence is comprehensive and irrefutable. So he used the term irrefutable. So just so people understand, uh, I, I'm not spinning out weird theories. What I'm talking about is solidly backed up by the evidence. As I mentioned before, Susan, even before genetic engineering had been able to move into agriculture, and it took over nine years from the development of the first genetically engineered bacteria before scientists were finally able to create the first functional genetically engineered plant. So it was not an easy, simple process. Scientists who had a vested interest in promoting genetic engineering through the grants or just wanting to be able to keep doing it without any government oversight through uh, misrepresentations or artful spin doctoring were able to convince uh, federal uh, agencies and ultimately the Congress that regulation was not needed, that genetic engineering was not doing anything other than was happening already in nature. That's not true at all. But it happened, and my book documents the history of that. It's a very, not a very pretty picture. And eventually, when a biotechnology industry formed, and especially when the Monsantos and the uh, and the other major multinational corporations decided to invest millions and millions in agricultural biotechnology, applying genetic engineering to creating new crops, then they started also, of course, applying their own uh, political and economic pressure. So in the case of genetically engineered foods, we have a really unholy alliance of the of large segments of the scientific establishment and the biotechnology industry, and then eventually the uh, agencies of the U.S. government who have become uh, basically uh, the U.S. government adopts a policy to promote the biotechnology industry, and then you have the FDA and the Department of Agriculture pushing it as well. Unfortunately, Many major, many governments of major countries and regions have also adopted a promotional policy and are trying to promote these foods. Even in the European Union, there's the European Commission has been promoting genetically engineered foods and uh, lessening the the standards that are supposed to be followed in the European Union. It's happening in Canada as well. It's happened in Australia, New Zealand, and my book documents uh, uh, this problem, too, is that one chapter is titled The Globalization of Regulatory Irregularity, and it's a very unfortunate situation where throughout the world we have scientific, uh, I'm sorry, governmental agencies that are supposed to be upholding the precautionary principle and making sure that risky products don't get into the food supply, and they're bending over backwards to allow these products in with minimal uh, scientific testing. 
Wow, that's kind of interesting because we found the same thing with electromagnetic frequencies and cell phones, that the precautionary principle just to be careful is recommended, but it seems to be thwarted uh, everywhere along the line. Now, what happens to scientists that uh, don't agree with the genetically modified policy? Do they run in any difficulties? They certainly do, uh, and that's one of the sorriest uh, episodes in the history of science. Uh, it actually almost evokes the kind of persecution we saw when the Galileos and the other pioneers of, of what is now Western evidence-based science came up against the, uh, you know, the people in the academic, in, in the universities who were trying to support Aristotelian uh, medieval-based uh, viewpoints, and many of them were, you know, castigated. Some of them were burned at the stake. The, the modern equivalency of burning at the stake is if a scientist does research that shows problems with genetically engineered foods or speaks out about his or her concerns about these foods, again, based on good science and evidence, they are ostracized at best and usually viciously attacked. Their reputations, their usually concerted efforts to destroy their reputation, several of them have lost their jobs at universities merely for doing what scientists are supposed to do, not for doing anything bad, for actually standing up to the people who are twisting the truth and are violating sound scientific norms and procedures. And we've seen this in many cases where respected scientists who have never violated scientific protocols but have spoken out about the risks of genetically engineered foods or have done research that has demonstrated the risk in regard to one or another of these foods have been uh, mercilessly attacked. And I'm saying mercilessly because they have been with no regard to the truth or the reputation. People that have dedicated their careers to science are then being castigated and, and, and uh, denigrated for upholding science. And it's a very sorry situation. My book documents that reality as well. And, um, it shouldn't be happening. But what's, what's been created is a chilling effect where People, scientists at universities who don't have tenure are afraid to speak out because they won't get tenure. Even tenured faculty are afraid to speak out because they don't want to go through the aggravation. And even emeritus professors who are retired are still given trouble if they speak out. The universities often do whatever they can to make their lives miserable. So it's really a sorry situation. That's pretty scary. We're coming on to a break now, so we will return in a few minutes with, the, with Mr. Drucker and find out more. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, 
spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. That's Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Occupy Health. Dr. Susan with Mr. Drucker, who had the audacity to file a lawsuit against the federal government. And, and as a result, all sorts of documents from the Food and Drug Administration were released about the research on genetically modified foods. And it sounds like uh, most of the scientists were very much against it. One of the interesting things I found in your book was the issue about tryptophan because I was in training and tryptophan I was giving to help people sleep. And then there was this massive scare about contamination and eosinophilia. And while we discussed that in their classes, they never mentioned that that genetically modified material could have contributed to that. Yes, and and actually, as as my book demonstrates, uh, the the most likely cause of that toxic contamination of that L-tryptophan supplement, which has had years and years of history of safe use, was genetic engineering. What happened, Dr. Susan, is that uh, the Japanese manufacturer uh, of of this particular brand of L-tryptophan was... um, decided that if they began to use genetic engineering with the bacteria, if they, through genetic engineering, gave the bacteria some extra copies of their own genes that are involved in the synthesis of tryptophan, they could crank out more tryptophan, which is an essential amino acid, more tryptophan in a shorter amount of time, and they could make more money. But... Uh, the evidence shows that what happened is by forcing those bacteria to overproduce a substance that they ordinarily produce for their own use, but by forcing overproduction, that uh, strain was produced, which resulted in the uh, production of one or another highly toxic contaminant that uh, even with screening, even when full screening was in place, 
could not did not catch did not uh, let through just enough to kill many people and seriously sicken thousands of them. And I have to emphasize that supplement was pure according to pharmacological standards. So any contaminants that were in it should not have been at a high enough level to cause any problem. It was pharmacologically pure. And even then, uh, it killed many people and, uh, and seriously sickened thousands. So it shows how dangerous it can be when we're allowing things that could create contamination created through living organisms. Uh, and the, my chapter brings out evidence that has, had not been known before. Uh, a research team at the Mayo Clinic that had uh, identified every case-associated contaminant had been studying for many years this epidemic, wanting to get to the heart of it, uh, shared with me uh, research that they had conducted that had not even been published yet. Very solid research, by the way, identifying the toxic contaminant, the main one that was statistically significantly related, associated with the epidemic. And their evidence points a very strong finger toward the genetic engineering as the cause of that toxicity. And it doesn't demonstrate it conclusively, uh, but uh, as conclusive as we can demonstrate things, given the fact that the bacteria were all destroyed, uh, the finger is pointed toward genetic engineering. Certainly has not let genetic engineering off the hook. And the uh, one of the leaders of that research team who for 10 years was a professor of biochemistry and pharmacology at the Mayo Clinic uh, wrote an affidavit, a sworn affidavit, uh, attesting to the accuracy of my chapter and what I said about their research. So you will hear claim after claim from the proponents of genetically engineered foods that no product of genetic engineering has ever harmed a human being. <laughs> That's just not true. The very first, and this, I have to emphasize, this was the very first ingestible product of genetic engineering. It came on the market, and it killed dozens of Americans and seriously injured thousands, many of whom are still invalids today. Many of them are incapacitated because they took a food supplement that was created through genetically engineered bacteria. And this is something that people just don't know about. The truth has been so twisted on this that people will claim, again, that if, if they know about that epidemic at all, that genetic engineering had nothing to do with the illness, which you essentially said in your introduction to this uh, topic. So, in fact, I've talked to many public health professionals that were not aware that there was an epidemic at all, and certainly we're not aware that it was associated, linked to genetically engineered bacteria. So this is how, how uh, systematically the important evidence is, gets suppressed when it comes to problems with genetically engineered foods. Yeah, I was in medical training then, and I should think in medical training is where this stuff would come up because, you know, we're the bright young minds that they're trying to give us critical thinking. It never was mentioned. I never heard of it till I read your book. Another question is, uh, what are the health risks of genetically modified foods? I mean, I mean, is there any research, leaving out the tryptophan, any research on what they might do? Well, yes. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the FDA scientists knew just from the research that had been done theoretically what they knew and what 
was known up to the point in 1991 about genetic engineering, that the genetic engineering process, contrary again to the routine promotional claims, is not a precise surgical, surgically precise process. It's highly, highly haphazard. The insertions, the way in which the biotechnicians have been inserting DNA into the genome of the target plants is haphazard. They have not been able to control where the chunks of inserted DNA go. It's highly disruptive. Uh, the native DNA often is disrupted in many different places. And the, in almost every case, there's a forced overproduction of some uh, gene or other substances. Now, as the, L, the case of the toxic L-tryptophan demonstrates, anytime there's an overproduction, an unnatural overproduction of some substance, anytime a living organism is forced to overproduce something, even if it's not foreign and something that it ordinarily makes, there is a risk of, of, um, metabolic imbalance that can lead to the creation of novel substances that are hard to detect, could be toxic or allergenic or otherwise harmful. That did apparently did happen in the case of the of the uh, bacteria that were engineered to overproduce L-tryptophan, and it could be happening in the case of every genetically engineered food on the market. That's what the FDA scientists were warning about, and there have been several well-conducted studies on genetically engineered, one or another genetically engineered plant that have demonstrated that the animals that consume the genetically engineered plant, when compared to the control group eating the conventional counterpart that was not genetically engineered, have suffered statistically significant harm. And one of the harms, kinds of harm that has come up in several of the studies are harm to the kidneys and the livers. That's especially troublesome, according to experts, because the kidneys and the livers um, are the are the are the organs in the body that have to detoxify, try to detoxify toxins to protect the body. So if, if the body is being exposed chronically, even at a low level, to toxins, then there's going to be chronic stress on the livers and the kidneys, and over time that can show up. And it has shown up in, uh, in laboratory research. And, of course, the research that's discovered that has been unjustly attacked by the proponents as well, and the scientists who've conducted the research have been uh, have been uh, castigated and insulted, but um, their research is solid, and uh, it's in the peer-reviewed literature. And in fact, one of the one of the studies that actually showed uh, they showed something other than liver and kidney damage, but significant damage to the uh, intestines of the small intestines of the of the uh, mammals that were eating the food, which could be, and I say could, not definitely was, could be precursors of cancer, but certainly are worrying signs that something was going on that shouldn't have. That research was published in the Lancet, uh, one of the premier scientific journals, and yet it was it's been viciously attacked. The researcher was forced to be fired from his position at a at a prominent uh, research institute in the United Kingdom. Uh, his reputation was smeared. His wife was fired too. She was a fellow researcher. His career was destroyed, even though he was one of the world's most respected. Uh, Food safety experts had published several books, hundreds of articles. It wasn't good enough. Where did that his recent start. Uh, 
did that where that where did that chain of negativity start? That's I mean, you know, that sounds like a pretty drastic uh, attack on this scientist. It, it was drastic, and Dr. Susan, unfortunately, one of the main sources of that attack was none other than the UK Royal Society, the world's oldest and most prestigious scientific organization, which has taken it upon itself to be a defender of genetically engineered foods, a promoter and a defender. And when research comes out like that, often one can find the Royal Society in the front ranks of the attackers. In the case of this research uh, that I was mentioning that found the, in, the intestinal abnormalities, the genetically engineered food was a genetically engineered potato. And the research was done at the prestigious Rowett Institute in Scotland and uh, by Dr. Arpad Pushtai and his wife and a team of researchers. Uh, their research design was so solid, it won out in a contest conducted by the Scottish government over uh, dozens of other research proposals. And so it was a very solid design, and it was solidly conducted by experts in food testing. But when it detected problems, then it was attacked, and uh, the Royal Society, as I said, was at the forefront of the, ta- of the attack. My book documents the very ugly history of that attack and how the Royal Society violated the, the norms of science and the norms of ethics in order to do whatever they could to defend the image of genetically engineered foods. Everything I'm saying is solidly backed up in my book. How come the esteemed scientist in England at the same time as esteemed scientists in the United States got the same idea to attack this. I mean, is that kind of coincidental? Well, it's, it's unfortunate. What we do know is that scientists who are trying to be objective and stick with the, what is known, stick with the evidence, like the FDA scientists, they come out acknowledging that genetically engineered foods have risks and they have to be carefully tested. Scientists who, for one reason or another, uh, feel identified with the project to create genetically engineered foods or, in many cases, have financial conflicts of interest. And, unfortunately, there are many cases of conflicts of interest among the scientists promoters of genetically engineered foods. They persistently uh, deny evidence. They attack scientists or anyone who comes out on the other side of them, and they look at any critique of genetic engineering as somehow they try to turn it into to an assault on science, when in reality, the scientists who are pointing out problems are trying to uphold science, and they're in the best tradition of science. And even, in fact, science is supposed to have an open airing of disagreement. That's how scientific truth advances. Science is not supposed to be a monopoly, a monopoly and it's certainly not supposed to be a dogma, but the scientists, promoters of genetically engineered food have turned uh, support for these foods into a dogma, and they, they really attack uh, any scientists who they perceive as being threats as if they were religious heretics. It really is a very sorry state of affairs, but it is the state of affairs. It's the reality. And I'd like to interject here now. Glyphosate, I mean, you know, apparently, you know one of the pro- glyphosate is the herbicide that they use on GMO genetically modified ready crops, and that kind of seeps into the plant, and you know, so we end up eating it. But glyphosate is also associating with 
dismembering our detoxification process. So is what you're talking about, is that the effects of just a genetically modified component or is it... uh, is that independent of what glyphosate does? Because, I mean, there's a lot of uh, research on the adverse effects of glyphosate as well. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because glyphosate has been shown on its own to be toxic, uh, to be toxic to the livers and kidneys of the laboratory animals that ate it. That was done in, uh, in research conducted by university scientists most of them based in France. That research, of course, has been attacked, but it is very solid, and uh, it showed that actually it wasn't just glyphosate that was the problem, but the Roundup itself, which is the formula that Monsanto sells and is actually sprayed on the plants, that that the Roundup is far, many times far more toxic than just glyphosate itself, and the glyphosate is usually what is tested in the industry-conducted studies. So the Roundup oh, on its the, own, well, the Roundup, oh, I'm sorry. So if you didn't have Roundup, would the genetically, is there any research just on the genetically modified component alone? I mean, there yes. is a lot of, yes. so, so I'm, it's, I'm discussing that research that, that they separated, they tested the genetically engineered maize, corn, as we say in the United States, separate from Roundup. They didn't spray the corn. They just grew the genetically engineered corn, but not did not spray it with the Roundup that is usually sprayed on it. And it was shown in long-term testing to be uh, to cause statistically significant damage to the livers and the kidneys of the rats. Then when the Roundup was tested alone at the levels that would be ordinarily sprayed on the plants, it was also shown to be toxic to livers and kidneys. So they were so you can imagine what the uh, effect would be if they were combined, but separately. So all of the problems I've been talking to up to now, Dr. Susan, have been about the genetic engineering process itself, independent of any consideration of herbicides that are then sprayed upon it. So it's very, and I'm, that's why I'm very glad you asked that question, the, the glyphosate-based herbicide on its own has been shown to be toxic in the study that uh, that study I have to have to mention because it was attacked viciously it, eventually it was retracted but then it's been republished in another peer-reviewed journal but when it was retracted it, it had the retraction had nothing to do with the toxicological data that demonstrated the toxicity to the livers and the kidneys it was for some other aspect of the research and yet they pulled the whole study and the editor that retracted the study acknowledged that the data related to the toxicological findings was solid. Okay, so it's very important because I'm sure some proponents out there are jumping up and down saying, no, that study was retracted. The toxicological study was sound and the paper was not retracted because of that. And in any event, the study has been republished because that data is solid. Okay, you sound very passionate about this. Has anyone accused you of being a conspiracy therapist, theorist, and like, are you against climate change? I mean, are you being accused of being uh, an extremist? Oh, yes. That's, uh, they, they always try to do that because they want to take the attention away from the evidence that I bring out. Um, 
Clearly, as I mentioned earlier, my book, Alter Genes, Twisted Truth, is not a conspiracy theory. It doesn't try to establish one. And I'm glad you mentioned climate change, because I happen to uh, recognize that there is extensive scientific evidence that climate change is occurring, that global warming is happening, and it, it, uh, I think the indications are strong that human activity is a significant factor. Now, I, I have that position on climate change because I'm following the sound science. Uh, I see what's been happening, and I also know that the claims that there has been fraud on the scientific, on the part of the scientific community on climate change, those are unfounded claims. However, when it comes to genetically engineered foods, there has been fraud on the part of the scientists who are promoting these foods and declaring that they're safe. I know that because I've studied. I've studied both issues. So I know that there's a glaring contrast between the case of genetically engineered foods and the case of climate science. And in the case of climate science, the cautions are truly based on solid science. The scientists have been upholding the standards of science. They've been behaving with integrity. When it comes to genetically engineered foods, most of the scientists who are strong proponents of safety have been misrepresenting the evidence in one way or the other, or at best, spin doctoring, and uh, they have not been upholding the strong standards of science. They've been, in many cases, subverting science. One of the things I know I noticed in your book is you you said that some of the uh, top officials from the Food and Drug Administration had been in the lobbyist industry and going back and forth. Is there any truth to that? Well, definitely, or I wouldn't have said it. In fact, one of the most glaring examples is an individual named Michael Taylor. For many years, Mr. Taylor was a, was a, an attorney at the Food and Drug Administration. Then he went through the revolving door and became a partner at a major uh, Washington, D.C. law firm uh, representing, and he was representing Monsanto and the International Food Biotechnology Council. I believe that's the name of it. Anyway, he was. it's clear he was representing Monsanto. And then in the summer of 1991, while the FDA was trying to get its policy on genetically engineered foods finalized over the protests of its own scientists, a special a position was created that the FDA deputy commissioner for policy, and Mr. Taylor was put in in that position. So Monsanto's lawyer was outside counsel was brought back to the FDA now as deputy commissioner for policy, and it was while he was uh, in that position that the FDA's final policy on genetically engineered foods was formulated and released in May of 1992. Subsequently, this is very interesting because, like. Like in the cell phone industry, Tom Wheeler went back and forth from being a prominent lobbyist to the head of the FCC. It's just kind of uh-huh. interesting how these revolving doors uh, keep churning. Well, wow. the, the door keeps revolving in the case of Mr. Taylor. Then subsequently, he was hired directly by Monsanto to be a vice president for public, I think, public policy or public relations in their Washington office. In other words, he became the chief Washington lobbyist for Monsanto. Uh, then after holding a few other positions, he came back to the FDA under Obama as the food czar, as the head of food safety generally. So talk about a revolving door. That's an amazing, amazing. Why is this this happening? Excuse me? I didn't hear that. Why is our president appointing these people? Well, uh, 
again, they've been convinced that strong that strong science requires it, that the economy needs it. They've been convinced that we need genetically engineered foods to solve the nutritional needs of the third world. When many studies conducted by independent scientists have stated that genetic engineering is not needed to meet the world's food needs, that what is needed uh, are agricultural agricultural techniques, sustainable uh, techniques that work with nature instead of uh, going against nature as genetically engineering does. We're running short of time, but I believe your book pointed out that a lot of the arguments that were for genetically modified food that's going to save this and produce more, etc., did not come out as being any different than the previous forms of farming. One question I have is why in many states are we voting that we don't want to know about if genetically modified stuff is in our food? Why are the people voting for this? Well, again, they've been misinformed. You had mentioned California uh, earlier on, Dr. Susan, and it was clear when the labeling initiative, when the uh, initiative came out to label genetically engineered foods, polls showed that an overwhelming majority of Californians wanted it. They were going to vote for it. But that was before the industry pumped millions and millions of dollars into the state for attack ads, attack, and to misinform people. Even the American Association for the Advancement of Science, as my book demonstrates, came out with a well-timed statement shortly before the vote saying that labeling was a bad idea, that it was scientifically unsound. We're coming close to an end here, but I recall that $46 million was pumped into the ads, and they had such confusing thing as meat's not genetically modified. Yeah. I mean, dog food's gen- uh, has to be labeled, but meat doesn't. I mean, And they scared people confusing. into thinking but that anyway, the food prices were going to go up 40%, which was not true. So it was misinformation. Even then, they would, it, it only was defeated by a small percentage. So, so a very large percentage of Californians wanted it, and if they had known the facts, then this uh, it would have passed with flying colors. It was only because they'd been lied to. We have three minutes left, so I'd like you to come out with your major points, your website, how to get in touch with you. Uh, The floor is yours. Thank you very much. Um, There are two websites, uh, one for the book, alteredgenestwistedtruth.com. Again, alteredgenestwistedtruth.com. Then there's one for the Alliance for Biointegrity, biointegrity.org, just biointegrity.org. They have quite a bit of information on them. If you're interested in ordering the book, uh, there are links on both of those sites for the book, Altered Genes, Twisted Truth. Uh, Jane Goodall, one of the most famous and most beloved scientists in the world, wrote the intro- uh, wrote the forward to the book, in which she states it's without doubt one of the most important books of the last 50 years. And she urges everybody who cares about the future of our planet to read it. Um, and the main points, I think, are summarized in the subtitle of the book, how the genetic engineering of our food, how the venture to genetically engineer our food has subverted science, corrupted government, and systematically deceived the public. Unfortunately, it has done all of those things, and the book documents how it has done that, how it has subverted science, corrupted government, and systematically deceived the public. Wow, that certainly is a lot for us to think about. Um, It just kind of shows that we need to do our own research and look underneath the hood to see what's going on. Uh, That's pretty alarming. 
Yes, it is alarming, and in fact, Jane Goodall stated my book was probably the most frightening book she had ever read, and it is frightening when one understands what is going on in the name of science, science being systematically subverted in the name of science, and scientists who are upholding, trying to uphold science, being attacked. Uh, and as I said, that's why I think the only, the closest parallel that exists for it historically are the attacks upon the pioneers of modern science that were launched in the Middle Ages in the, the early Renaissance period uh, when the proponents of non-evidence-based dogmatic science were attacking the proponents of evidence-based science. We have something quite similar going on today. We're coming to a close. This is pretty alarming information. So, folks, I encourage you to all go out and do your own research. Learn what you can. Consult with your health providers uh, so you can help yourself and help others. So, be well. We got the Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.